Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, time is running out to purchase tickets to my How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex live webinar. Participating live gives you the opportunity to ask questions and receive feedback in real time. Plus, you'll get to hear my interactions with other parents in the session, which I think can be tremendously helpful as you think about how to implement what we're learning into your own experience. You can learn more about the opportunity and purchase your ticket by visiting the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Welcome to this session of Uplift Live. I'm your host, Michelle Larson, one of the co-founders of Uplift, and I'm here today with Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Hello, Jennifer. Hi. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so many of our listeners are probably familiar with your work, but for those that aren't, um, she's a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois with a PhD in counseling psychology from Boston College. And while Jennifer works with her faith tradition, the principles apply to all believers and non-believers. She's featured in the Huffington Post, NPR and the Washington Post. And we're just thrilled to get a chance to spend some time with you today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, if you're joining live, you can go ahead and ask questions as we go in the chat. Um, And then um, we'll also integrate some questions at the end. And, um, and we'll also have some time at the end for her to share more about her work. Again, if you know her, you're, you, you, you already love her work. If you're new to her work, then um, you're going to be wanting that information there at the end because she just has incredible work. So um, we'll leave some time for her to share more about how you can hear more about what she's doing. So we'll just start. Can you just tell a little, little bit, bit about yourself and how you got into this work? Sure. So um, I, I grew up as a Latter-day Saint and um, learned all of those kind of rather strict mores around sexuality and some kind of complex messages at times, both, you know, messaging that sexuality is a good thing, but a lot of fear messaging that sexuality would make you less desirable as a female, that it would divide you from God, that that it, you know, was technically good, but really not that congruent with spirituality and goodness. So those were some of the messages I inherited. I knew I wanted to be a counselor or a therapist of some sort. And so I really focused my work in uh, marriages, but I ended up writing my dissertation on LDS women and sexuality and looking specifically at women who grew up as Latter-day Saints and were now married, how that transition from pre-marriage into marriage had gone. And so that, you know, that, that was sort of a sort of beginning research experience that really made me want to help people in the Latter-day Saint tradition to come to peace with their sexuality, to be more able to have intimate marriages, um, to really you know, see the integration, the potential integration of sexuality and spirituality, and also to help parents be good guides to their children. So mm-hmm. being able to have even conservative values while really allowing kids to integrate their sexuality and not have so much anxiety and fear around this gift that we have as human beings. 
Oh, thank you for, yeah, it's beautiful. And that really aligns um, at Uplift. We, you know, provide families spiritual resources to support spiritual development in the home. And I love what you're describing because there's a way that we, um, we have these, you know, these kids, they're whole beings, and we know how to support their intellectual, them as intellectual beings. We, you know, support them academically. They're physical beings. We might support them with, you know, sports or any um, athletics, but yeah. often then when it comes to their spiritual, their sexual nature, which is just a part of who they are, we kind of can fall short. So, yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sexuality tends to scare us. Um, no, you know, as parents, especially. So we can sometimes drop the ball or kind of hope that they'll figure it out. But especially in a culture that is so saturated with sexual messaging, it's especially important, I think, for us as parents to be uh, explicit uh, guides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'd love for you to, um, if you can talk about, you know, it, we just did a, an uplift lesson about having a conversation about uh, sexuality, and really emphasize that this isn't, I think there's kind of a message in our culture to say, like, okay, you have the talk, it's like a yeah. one time thing. And, and really, what we've emphasized is that this is an ongoing conversation. Can yeah. you talk about like, when should that conversation start? And, um, right. Yeah. Talk about. Just yeah. Good. I mean, yes. Again, that's another version of as parents, we would like there to be the talk and be done. <laughs> <laughs> we like gear up for that one moment, but yeah. It, yeah. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's an ongoing conversation and one that's mostly nonverbal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are giving messages to our kids from, from birth into adulthood about sexuality about what we believe about sexuality, what we believe about our own, about theirs. Mm. And they're tracking that meaning, even if it's not getting articulated explicitly. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if, um, you know, do you, do you celebrate your child's body when they're a little person, you know, kissing them, holding them, you know, enduring them? You know, that's, a, that's an important part, actually of mm. their sexual development is just accepting themselves mm. as these little embodied beings with rolls of cute fat and, you know, just like you know, yeah. just, that, you, that there's a celebration, but it's also like when they're touching themselves in the bathtub, does the parent get anxious and scold them? Does the parent just treat it as normal? Like just, it's mm -hmm. okay that in normal that they are sorting out their own bodies. Where do I end? Where does the world begin? What feels good? What does it feel like to touch myself here, touch myself there? They're just doing that important work of creating a sense of self. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are, those aren't really like conversations, but there's certainly messages and moments of meeting between the child and the parent that have a high impact. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what people often refer to as the talk is where you're really explaining to them more about what reproduction is, what sex is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think arguably at some point close thereafter, giving some sense of what values you have around sexuality for them to mm -hmm. understand, right? So that is important at a developmental level. And usually that's around age seven to nine, depending on your child, depending on how anxious they are to be able to understand it. 
So mm -hmm. the, the trick of parents is being able to figure out who is this child, right? Uh, and when do they need it? Like I had some kids that were asking me questions at age six, mm -hmm. that it was clear that they were ready for me to explain things more, mm -hmm. you know, and another child that was more anxious about it. And, you know, I felt like I kind of was watching her a little more to see when she was ready to hear more. So mm -hmm. it's more that the more comfortable you are, the more you can calibrate and understand what does the child need to understand and what are they trying to sort out? Mm. I'm giving maybe a long answer here, but I, I do think the more that the parent is at peace with her or his sexuality mm -hmm. and has a sense of how sexuality can be a good thing in their child's life, the more able they are to calibrate to where the child is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear, I mean, what would you say to the parent who longs for that? That's, that's their goal. They'd love to be comfortable, but they really aren't. Um, where do they even start? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I feel like I'm going to sell my own stuff here by saying this, but you know, I have courses that are really like help men and women to look at their own relationship to sexuality and desire mm -hmm. and to have a better understanding of what are some of the messages that they received that have been unhelpful mm -hmm. to coming to terms with their sexuality. For some mm -hmm. it's trauma, like if there's sexual abuse, you can be so afraid of sexuality that you don't feel equipped to be a good guide, except for maybe a, you know, perhaps overprotective at times. Mm -hmm. But um, other messages you may have received from your faith tradition or your family tradition that have interfered with you being at peace and creating something meaningful and good in your life through your sexuality. So mm -hmm. sometimes we can't see it because we're just living it. And so what, you know, my courses are trying to help people to do is to become more awake to the messaging mm -hmm. and understanding what impact it's had on their sense of self, on their sense of self-acceptance, on their strength. You know, I really believe that being at peace within our embodied sexual selves is really fundamental to being at peace and being wise. Because mm -hmm. when we're trying to split it off, we create an anxiety and a division within ourselves that actually impairs our ability to live well and to thrive and to have access to the wisdom that our embodied selves are capable of. Mm -hmm. So the short answer, I guess, is being more able to understand what is not at peace within you and why it isn't. Mm -hmm. And if there's another way to relate to that question, for example, if somebody's been gone through some sexual trauma, a very typical response is to just shut off sexuality altogether. It's mm -hmm. kind of a limbic response that one may not even be conscious of, but to be safe, I don't really want anything to do with this. And mm. so through good therapy or good, you know, self-help in some form to be able to understand that I have tried to protect myself in a way, and maybe I want to reclaim my sexuality as mm. something that always has belonged to me and reclaim this part of myself so that I can be strong, but that doesn't mean that I will be vulnerable because I will keep myself from vulnerable situations, but I'm going to reclaim something that was always mine. 
So that's, mm-hmm. for example, just a new meaning that allows you to move forward in a new way. But sometimes you can't do that until you can see where it got stuck for you. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I mean, I really hear you like really talking about a parallel process. Like we can't give messages, these verbal, nonverbal yes. messages to our kids unless we're doing the work just as, you know, our own human work as a that's sexual right. being. Yeah, that's right. great um yeah and and really like I hear you saying like um the importance of parents being in touch with their own sexuality and and your courses uh, your courses are amazing and your um your retreats because you you know it's like people are they're like sex okay I'm going to that but (laughs) come and it's actually like the first few days you're actually just talking about desire in general even outside of sexuality you know and then you get to that I also hear the way that you're like saying let's be like whole humans and know ourselves absolutely it's so connected you know I've sometimes had people write in and say like that they just started dealing with their relationship to themselves their relationship to their spouse things started getting more honest and then the sex just started to get so much better, so much more. And they weren't even necessarily trying to address the sex per se, but more who they were as people and how they were relating somewhat inauthentically. So mm-hmm. it, it is so much connected to who we are, mm-hmm. where we are in our own development and our self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's absolutely the whole person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when that comes to having a conversation with our kids, I, I remember in a podcast or I heard you say somewhere that, um, even just having a conversation with our kids about what they desire, like for instance, yes. um, if they're in a relationship, maybe they really want to belong. And so they might, they might be involved sexually when really it's about belonging. So that's right. Yeah. If you can say more about how to have conversations that really integrate those things. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll reference my dissertation for a minute on this because the women who transitioned into marriage, most, even if they'd grown up in a very, you know, direct, even, uh, or conservative LDS home, even if they'd been very conservative in their choices, right chose not to masturbate or whatever, that they, the ones that transitioned very well had two things. They, they were excited about the fact of being sexual beings. So they didn't have a negative response to the fact that they were capable of pleasure or that sexuality was something that was going to be a part of their life. They actually had positive anticipation for it, even if they were conservative in the, in the period of being single. The second big important difference is that the women this was just women I was interviewing, they saw their desires as being equal to any man, man's desires, any husband's desires. So they saw what they wanted and valued in their lives as something they needn't be apologetic for. Mm -hmm. So they, they weren't sexist within their own meaning frame. Mm -hmm. The women who didn't do well, had either anxiety around sexuality at all, that it was something that was dangerous or was going to make them less desirable. But importantly, they were more concerned about being desirable than their own desires. They were more concerned about being sufficient or enough for a future husband by keeping themselves pure or by, you know, basically contorting themselves into what would get validation from a future husband. Mm -hmm. And so they you know, to be, to be desirable was to be non-sexual pre-marriage, to be desirable was to be sexual in marriage, but because the locus of control was outside of themselves, Mm -hmm. right, then it was only about a performance rather than bringing an authentic self 
into a collaborative experience of creating a meaningful sexual friendship. They, they weren't in a position to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So these issues of the self are really, really critical mm-hmm. in helping your child, you, you know, that one of the messages is you don't want to ever betray your own desires mm-hmm. in order to have someone love you or desire you. Mm-hmm. Like that will always work against you, male or female, right? And so to help children appreciate the value of their own body, that it belongs to them, and the importance of their own desires and their own values and the things that matter to them are worth standing up for, for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that sense of giving them a solid self that is so fundamental to being able to create an intimate marriage. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that solid self, you're not capable of intimacy. Mm-hmm. You may, in the name of intimacy, be looking for validation, approval, right? That's oftentimes what we're doing in our early development is trying to earn a self mm-hmm. through compliance, through yielding, through pressuring others to do what makes us comfortable. But we're, if we're going to be capable of intimacy, we have to move into a place of sharing and friendship and collaboration, knowing and being known. And so you need a self to share, to mm-hmm. have that be possible. Mm-hmm. So what are the types of things that parents might say to a child, whether in a, in, if they're talking about sexuality or uh, sex or anything, what, what would you recommend? Well, I, I think one of the things that, you know, sort of when you say these things, you know, I kind of lay all this out in, in a course I do, but I think that some of the core messages would be this, you, you want to describe to them, well, let me start with this. You want to be comfortable enough that your child isn't going to, that they trust that you can handle it when they come back with questions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I know that's kind of a hard thing to say to parents because they're like, I'm trying, but I, they can tell I'm not comfortable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But even if you're not fully comfortable, you can say to your child, these are things I'm also learning because I grew up learning these other things. Mm -hmm. I really, you know, want to offer better and I'm sometimes anxious, but I really do want to be a resource for Mm -hmm. you. So, so even if the child can see that the parent really is wanting to be a good guide, that's going to be important. Mm -hmm. But I think some of the core messaging to offer is that sexuality is a gift. It's a, it's a gift in being human. It's a beautiful part, or it has the capacity to be a beautiful part of the human experience. It's a part of us thriving. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can describe the realities of reproduction. um, But you also want to talk about how sexuality can be a part of joy Mm -hmm. and of love and being loved, but how you relate to it is everything. So I'm not necessarily somebody who's like, sex is good. I understand why people say that because they're trying to be, to create an antidote to sex is bad, mm-hmm. but sex isn't necessarily good. It depends on what you're doing with your sexuality. It can be terribly destructive and it can be absolutely transcendent and very linked to beauty, joy, and spirituality, but it depends very much on how you're in relationship to yourself and the other. Mm-hmm. So you want to help your kids to see this is a, 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 an amazing gift, but how you're in relationship to it matters because it's a very powerful currency. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's an important message that it's an, it's a powerful way of being in relationship to yourself and others. And so you want to be careful about it. 
That's mm-hmm. not to be afraid of it. You are the driver. This is a, sometimes in religious messaging, we give the idea that Satan and sexuality are the drivers and you have to be terrified as opposed to no, you, sexuality is, is, will, will, is compelling, right? And you will sometimes not be clear if you're the driver, okay? You may at times feel like your body's, you know, in reaction more than you want it to be, but you are the one who ultimately is is choosing how you're going to relate to your sexuality and what you're going to create through it. Mm -hmm. And that I think a kind of a, a valuable metaphor is the metaphor of like bridling a horse. Now, sometimes people think of a bridle is suppression, like even bridle your passions, which is something I grew up hearing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think of it as like shove it down, put it under the ground. And as opposed mm-hmm. to with a horse, you know, you're, you have this powerful thing, but if you don't guide it, you have to guide it for, for the beauty of it and the power of it to be a positive thing rather than a wild horse that's, you know, harming the owner, so to speak. So there's kind of a way of, it's not suppression, it's direction. It's giving it a direction that creates the good. And just like our relationship with food, any, you know, our sexuality and anything sensual, there's, it's about giving it direction. So it creates good in our life. Because if we go into a suppression mode, you know, anorexia, for example, in the food model or an indulgent mode, you know, uh, binge eating or, or uh, bulimia, either one of those are destructive to our well-being. Mm-hmm. And so it is also with sexuality to suppress it or to be afraid of it will work against our well-being and our spirituality to indulge it and to harm others or be exploitative will, whether even if you're, you know, married, a lot of times we make married as the good as opposed to how are you relating to the other person? Because if you're taking advantage or indulgent or deceptive, it's going to be destructive. I love what you're saying. I mean, one of our pillars of uplift, one of our kind of um, principles that we like to work with is, is polarity and, or these opposites. And I really hear you saying like, let's talk with our kids about the full spectrum of spirituality. And, you know, I think um, there's a, there's a lot of research, the research we did for our, um, our lesson and our resource page, really, it, 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 there was this interview with like hundreds of college students and, and they said, first of all, the shocking thing was they want their parents to be the ones to talk to them about sexuality. And the second one was like you said, the ones, the ones that thrive and actually have healthy sexuality got both both like realistic and positive messages about yeah. sexuality. And I hear you saying, yeah, it needs to be this full spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. And that they're really ultimately the choosers in it, because when you feel afraid or anxious, I, you know, I remember a friend telling me that she was so afraid that her boys were going to grow up to become porn addicts, because that was sort of a meaning frame in their family that the father and the brother and so on had were porn had a sex addiction. So she would be in the grocery store line and she sort of insert herself between the boys and the magazine. Mm -hmm. And you know, that anxiety that they're mapping that. So now they're even more curious about what is behind mom. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and so so it's kind Mm -hmm. of now taken on this power, like it's forbidden. So I want it, but that makes me bad because I, now I want it. Mm-hmm. where parents do a much deeper service to their kids to allow them to sort of step back and see it and say, yeah, sometimes p- 
people try to sell things with sexual images because people like seeing naked people or they like seeing people in bikinis. And so they try to, you know, just giving kids information to process those messages Mm -hmm. and equip them to be better choosers. That's really the goal Mm -hmm. because especially in adolescence, you know, they're, they still care what you think, but ideally you've equipped them with more ability to think so that they can be kind of their own, you're more of a consultant role, but they're gonna be ultimately making choices about how they're gonna relate to their sexual nature and relate to others. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the more they've been able to kind of pre-think it, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're kind of talking about, again, one of our, another approach at Uplift is to really meet individuals where they are um, developmentally. Yeah. So yeah, if you could share, I, you're kind of talking about it already, but if you can share more your thoughts about how uh, to talk to kids at different developmental stages, um, I hear you saying that you'd, it would be a different message to the kid than it would be to the adolescent. If you can say more. Yeah, about that. exactly. So I think, you know, in that kind of pre-adolescent period, like say maybe stage seven to 11 or something, that's sort of the, the what would I call it? Like, the ideal that the time that's great for parents, it's the easy time, you know, they're not young and all over the place, but they're not teenagers yet either. And so it's a good time for downloading values. Kids are much more concrete operations. They're concrete in their thinking. They Mm. want the rules. They want to understand kind of what are the rules of the game? What matters? What doesn't matter? And you know, obviously the wiser those rules are, the better for the kids, but those are kind of the guideposts for starting to make sense of themselves and make sense of this, their sexuality. And also a kind of an understanding that, um, I remember my brother telling me, my mom explained to him about sex when he was eight years old. And he was like, why would anyone want to do that mom? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and, and he said that a really helpful answer to him was, she said, in part because it feels good. And you'll understand when you're an adult why people would wanna do it. And he said that actually really helped him because he could just sort of understand, okay, it's gonna have a sense for me later, but I can just kind of understand the framing of this at this point. Mm -hmm. So you give them that, you give them maybe what your values are, how you think about what would make sexuality a good thing. But you also want kind of right before they're moving into adolescence or as they're moving into adolescence, more room to articulate for themselves. Who do I want to be around sexuality? What matters to me? What do I want ultimately to start to create sort of a vision for their lives that's self-defining? That this is the other, I don't know how clearly I've said this yet here, but this was the piece in the dissertation was these women had a sense of agency. They were self-defining, even if it looked on the outside, like they were conforming to the rules of their faith, they had actually claimed them. You know, one of the women mother, their parents had divorced and um, the mother had multiple sexual relationships and she was seeing the instability in her mother's life. She was looking at other families that were more stable and solid. And for her, she made a decision at, you know, age 15, like I want to wait until marriage. I want to be conservative. I look forward to being sexual, but this is really who I am and what I desire. And so it was never in this kind of obedience framing. It was self-driven. And Mm -hmm. so she transitioned beautifully and happily into marriage. I mean, she, she was thrilled about sexuality. So all of the, you know, supposed suppression was really self-defining. So it has a very different meaning 
than other people that I interviewed who felt ashamed of their sexuality, who were trying to, you know, be good enough by pushing it down and feeling super guilty when they would feel sexual feelings. And they just weren't in a position yet because it was so external that they mm -hmm. didn't have that self-developmental piece that was being supported by the system around them. Mm, yeah, this is great. And we actually have had a question come in um, that, you know, what you're talking about, how do we actually um, share these like more positive messages and actually messages that almost I hear you saying it turns the, the, the center of it back to the child. It's not like I'm the parent. I'll now tell you how to think about this. You're, you're centering them. And this question that came in, um, she, this uh, person said, I feel like I need to relearn how to react to sexuality in our environment in a way that treats sexuality positively, sex and movies, provocative dance moves, outfits. So if you, if you could speak to that question and like, what would be some things you would say when these things, natural things in the environment arise, which feel like the yeah. perfect opportunity to talk about sex. It's all over yeah. the place. Yeah, it is all over the place. So um, let me just think about the best way to answer the question. I mean, I think, yes, the, the, the children are tracking the parents. How are the parents in response to it? You know, mm -hmm. we're not big football fans, but some of the like um, halftime shows are just like, they're very explicit erotic dances. Okay. Right. You know, so I was thinking about that with my husband, like if we had been watching it with the kids, like, what would I do? I probably would just roll my eyes at it a little bit and just turn it off and just, mm -hmm. you know, and wait until after, not because I think it's so shameful that one could do an erotic dance. I think that's actually, and believe me, some of these people are amazing dancers. So I don't have any trouble necessarily with an erotic dance, but I do kind of have trouble with the idea that it's just, you know, here in a family show, I think being used in a gratuitous way. So I think I would comfortably give a message of setting a limit on kind of how much of that commercialized sexuality that I'm going to accept. Now that's not shaming of sex because I know that I don't shame sex. Like, and I, I actually wish I could dance like that. Okay. So I don't have an issue with the fact of, of erotic dance or eroticism even, but an issue with kind of whether or not I think it should bombard my children at all times. So there's, you can certainly set limits. There's going to be things that you're just there watching and there's a commercial or whatever. And it's really great for parents, especially in that, in that kind of, you know, 10 to 13 year old range. Like, you know, what do you make of that? What do you, what do you make of that commercial? You're kind of helping them think through it. You're yeah. helping them consider, you know, you know, I remember talking to my son about this. He had a friend who was like creating this social media presence that was very, very different and much more like I'm a sexy guy kind of thing than who he actually was in real life and was always looking to get likes and so on. So I was just asking my son, like, how did he make sense of it? What did he think about what his friend was doing? And it was just helping him to process, you know, he's like, it's, I, I remember my son saying, I can imagine that in a way it feels good to get people to like you, but in another way it doesn't because they don't really like you, you know, but he mm -hmm. was just trying to process what his friend was doing and figure out his own position. And parents can facilitate that mm -hmm. by, by allowing the child to process their own meanings and being a guide in those meanings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And would like you I'm, re- I'm answering so many things at once. I hope I'm on track here. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. This is okay. great. Yeah, I think it's super helpful for our listeners. Yeah. And um, so when it comes to these different developmental levels and this way that you um, kind of can communicate in really intentional ways, but also just flowing with what's in the environment, do you recommend that you know, it's talked about, you know, as a family or do you, when do you talk to each child individually and when do you just kind of, I think more individually, I mean, you might have general lessons, um, that you could, for example, I think a really valuable lesson is my body belongs to me. Mm -hmm. And you could probably try and talk about that at different stages, but even for a young child, that sense of ownership of not just their desires, but their own body that, you know, they get to decide who touches them, even if they don't want to give grandma a hug. That's okay. It's, it's subtle, but it's a, for parents to respect the boundaries of their children's privacy is just really important messaging for a child feeling clear, excuse me, that they get to, dis, to determine, you know, who they're in, in physical contact with. So mm-hmm. you can kind of, that's a kind of lesson that you could maybe give and sort of adapt a bit. But because it's so developmental and private, I think generally you're going to want to have more conversations that are specific to that child and where they are. Mm-hmm. There's going to be comments that get made, you know, at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. I remember my seven-year-old was like sitting there and my, she's like, mom, what is sex? You know? So I said, well, remember what we talked about, blah, blah, blah. you know, I'm explaining and then we're all eating. And then she's like, okay, what's a sexy lady? <laughs> like if she'd heard this, <laughs> it was just funny. So I, I'm trying to explain and my, my older son who was maybe 10, he's like, I'm eating. Like it was just like disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So of course there's going to be conversations that emerge naturally and you're going to be kind of a, adapting at the level that you think can be understood by all. But again, private conversations I think are helpful mm-hmm. in facilitating what they need. But I think really importantly too, is once they know that you can handle the conversation and you're involved enough, Mm -hmm. questions will come up naturally, especially when driving in the car or when there's like a little less, you know, kids and and parents and sex shouldn't mix. I mean, so there's a natural kind of aversion, but Mm -hmm. if, you know, because there's a, there's a wanting to separate from the parent, but Mm -hmm. they still need your guidance. And so walks, car rides can be helpful for just being able to process your ideas or what you have to say, but allowing them a sense of space and and ability to kind of make sense of those things. Mm. I remember one of my sons coming home after he'd heard a word at school. I remember him standing in the doorway of my office and saying, you know, mom, what's, I can't remember, it might've been S&M or something. He's like, what's S&M, you know? So I said, well, I'm happy to tell you, it might embarrass you a little bit, but I'm happy to tell you if you want to know. And he's like, thinking about it. He's like, okay, go. <laughs> he put down his head and covered his eyes and said, okay, speak. Yeah. But, you know, it's, he's like, he wants to know, he wants me to tell him, but he doesn't want any of the connection around it. He's like, just go ahead, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's okay. And certainly, you know, that's absolutely legit. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, a question that came in. It, it, I, I've heard you tell a story about, because um, a question came in about masturbation. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you tell a story about, this is thing about stuffed animals and like, I don't want to, you know. So um, if you can speak to just masturbation in general, and maybe even at, again, including these different developmental levels and how you might speak to it. But yeah. that story is also just sure. quite funny. Yeah, yeah that story is funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So first of all, I, first of all, I think that you know, in many faith traditions, our reactions to, um, to I can't, masturbation, I suddenly had a more clinical word in my head, to masturbation is, um, is very, very high. And high in a way that I think is unhelpful. Hmm. So clearly our goal in life is not to have, you know, adults who are masturbating in the basement looking at porn. Like we, we clearly don't want to be in an indulgent or solipsistic relationship to sexuality. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, often when we are so reactive to normative sexual development, we actually make it more likely to go that direction and or make the integration of sexuality be impaired. So mm-hmm. you want, again, sort of like that horse idea, you want a direction. Mm-hmm but not so reactive to the fact that kids are naturally sexual. And the messages at three in the bathtub, right, are very different than, adoles- I don't know, they're very different. They're, they're different than in adolescence, right? And depending on whether or not the child has a problem, right? Um, so let me see if I can be clear about that. Like, you know, once what think about my kids and, and their privacy. I'm going to just make the genders not knowable. So I can just say one of my children, when they were, uh, when I was changing their pants, you know, just grabbed the wipe and just was, you know, rubbing their genitals with the wipe. And obviously because it felt good. So I just kind of smiled and you know, eventually took the white back and just said, that feels good. You know, like something like that, just kind of affirming that that's, you know, that of course that feels good. So no shaming. Um, (laughs) This is the funny story. I think you're remembering is that one time when my kids were small, they wanted me to come in to just sit in their room because they were kind of afraid of the dark. Well, we sometimes called it wiggling if they were like wiggling on top of a stuffed animal. So I was sitting in the room and they both started wiggling on top of their poor stuffed animals who had, I'm sure not given consent. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I just said, Hey, listen, this is a private thing and I don't want to be here. So if you want me here, you need to not wiggle. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to wiggle, then I'm going to go out. And they're both like, I guess you better leave mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's but you know, I'm sort of teaching the idea of privacy, right? As opposed to, you know, that I'm not shaming the fact of pleasure, but it's also if they were doing that in the living room, I would have said, you know, no, that's not. This is a this is not polite. That's not public mm-hmm. behavior, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of just giving con- a container to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of adolescence, I take a position that probably some disagree with, but I think this is a part of normal sexual development. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that one should masturbate, but certainly as sexual feelings are emerging, um, I do think it's a part of claiming sexuality as your own. Mm 
-hmm. Now that doesn't mean you need to be doing it every day or compulsively by any stretch. If you're using masturbation as a way to handle anxieties, fears, if it becomes like its own compulsive behavior, clearly that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're looking at pornography and masturbating as a way of coping with anxieties, it's a problem because it's pulling you in a maladaptive coping strategy that's mm-hmm. keeping you from addressing what is needed, what's happening in your life. And, um, and I think integrating sexuality and your sense of self in a way that's necessary for intimate relationships. So mm-hmm. you want to address the problem, but not out of a porn is terrible and, 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 and touching yourself is terrible. Cause a lot of times people are trying to address it more that the sexuality is the problem mm-hmm. than the internal misalignment and anxiety and the poor coping um, problem process mm-hmm. is the problem. So mm-hmm. If you can see it more, just like if a child's compulsively playing video games, mm-hmm. right, or on social media trying to earn approval, these are all ways of coping that are not going to help that person grow into a healthy and happy relationship with herself or himself. Mm-hmm. And so it needs help, but not because sexuality is the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great. And I hear you saying too, like, um, I hear this almost like response to whether it's masturbation or any topic, really Um, it's a response to what's coming up for the child. There's a way you're responding in real time. And my other question is when do you respond in real time and when are you proactively like, you know, at what point would you like talk about masturbation? Do you start talking about it? Like even when they're young, you know, like you did. Um, But when, yeah, kind of that question of when, when are you responding and proactively having conversations? That's a great question. I mean, you definitely want to be responding, right? Obviously. So if if things are coming up, they're giving you a signal that they need information or they need some kind of, they're trying to track what things mean and what matters. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I do go through this in the course I teach, which is kind of developmentally, what is the child needing in this phase, kind of where they are? Mm -hmm. They're, you know, in the early phases, acceptance of their body acceptance of themselves that the meaning that they're loved that they're valued that their embodiment is good when they're getting into that preteen period they need more of a structure they need more information they need more the concrete realities of sexuality reproduction what sex is what their body part i mean you can help with body parts when they're younger but but mm-hmm. anything terms like what is masturbation you they need that information to start making sense of the world mm. um but hang on i just lost you oh um But I think especially as a child's moving into a different phase, like they're going to start dating or they're, you know, they're, those are times also to kind of um, pull aside and, and have more of a conversation if you think it's needed. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just trying to give an example. strange. I just can't think of an example right now. I mean, this being in response to the example that's coming into my mind is that, you know, this was a family where the daughter was touching herself excessively. She was four years old. She was touching herself a lot, seemed to know body part names that the mother had not taught to the child. Mm -hmm. It just felt kind of off. And 
so in consultation with me, I said, you know, it feels off to me too. Meaning, and it was true after she started to inquire with the four-year-old and the six-year-old, a babysitter had actually been inappropriately touching. And so mm-hmm. that was about paying attention. Like there's a difference between the, bot- the child's just curious versus there's something that feels anxious or off, or you can tell the child's trying to sort through something. And the more that you can be aware, the better you know if something is on track or if it's off. Um, mm. Protecting the Gift is a book that I think is really brilliant. Um, and I can't remember the name of the author right now. It's, um, he's, a, he's a criminologist, a forensic criminologist. And so he talks a lot about you know, how to protect your children from sexual exploitation and what are signs that you, can, you need to pay attention to because something is off versus yeah. normal yeah. You know, developmental shifts. Mm-hmm. That's so great. And at, just another resource on our um, resource page or pillar page on sexuality, w- there's a graph that talks about each age and like, this is what's normal behavior yeah, in that yeah. age. And this is what's outside of the norm and worth yeah, the conversation. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another question did come in that's similar to that. This person asks um, any suggestions for helping a teen who is compulsively drawn to sex and pornography? Yeah, so I would be just really thinking about why the compulsion compulsions usually are driven by anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I would be really wanting to think about what's going on that my child is so anxious and trying to handle it in this way. Mm-hmm. And you may well need some good professional input, like wise. Uh, you know, you want to be careful because some of the some of the models out there are more about you know, shaming the sexuality and kind of, um, almost like, like as if it's alcohol for an alcoholic, Mm. I don't think that really works. You can go your whole life and never drink alcohol, but you can't really go your whole life and not be sexual. Mm -hmm. And so you need more of an understanding of why the compulsivity around it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. kids are compulsive because, um, they're just wired up anxious. Okay. Cause some kids are more anxious than others. And they may be scrupulous. And so some of their scrupulosity actually drives paradoxically compulsion around sexuality. Sometimes Mm. kids are very anxious because that is to say every time they feel so, so guilty, it actually drives them back into that repetitive cycle. Mm -hmm. A lot of times kids get compulsive around sexuality because they're, they're growing up in a home in which there's more anxiety and chaos than maybe the parents realize, okay, that is to say the parents may realize it, but they may not realize how much the child is absorbing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this is the child that's trying hard to be the right kind of kid. So the parents are okay, the family's okay, so on. And so their sexuality almost becomes a secret way in which to have pleasure and to kind of relieve their sense of aloneness or anxiety but then they go and feel guilty because they feel like they aren't the good kid that everybody thinks. And so it drives it into a kind of secrecy. The short of it is it's figuring out why the anxiety mm-hmm. and is there reasons why it's getting channeled towards sexuality? And are there ways to help them without shaming the coping strategy mm-hmm. to help them address what the larger issue is? Because sometimes the more fixated you get on the, on the red flag, on the signal, on the canary in the coal mine, the less able you are to actually address, right, what's, what's going on, that this has become even a strategy for the child. 
Mm, that's great. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it sounds like really um, working with, uh, yeah, not, not just going towards the act itself yeah. really. So would you like, what would those conversations look like? Well, I mean, it would be, I guess, to think about, so, you know, it, figuring that you have figured out, maybe you have some way of knowing how much time your child's been spending on porn sites or something like that to just go and, and say that, make it explicit with the child. Like I can see that you've been doing this a lot mm -hmm. and, um, can we talk about it? Mm -hmm. And I might, for my child, I might say, I'm not concerned about the fact that you're drawn to it because that just makes you normal. Mm -hmm. What's concerning me is how much you're doing it mm -hmm. because it feels more like it's a way of getting away from life than living your life. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about that child? You know, mm -hmm. so like kind of like I'm coming in as an observer that care I'm can I care about the child I'm talking truthfully about them about what I see and my observation with a very clear message that I care about you and what's going on with you right mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not coming in scolding or restricting I mean you might choose to restrict as a way of giving them fewer choices. I mean, this is the other thing is, as that I was going to say on the developmental piece, when your child is starting to assert what they want and who they are, they still need guideposts. It's not like, okay, you're 13, you're good. You know? <laughs> You've yeah. written your, your, your manifesto on who you're going to be. You still want to limit agency or freedom to the level that they can handle and make tolerable mistakes within right? The mistake making is so much a part of figuring out who they are. So you don't want to be afraid of mistakes. If that's the right word, I'm not even sure, but of, of them tripping up and failing and so on and things, but you don't want to give so much latitude that they are overwhelmed, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot to navigate out there and they can take safety in the structure and it facilitates development to have that structure uh, that's ever expanding the more able they are to handle it mm -hmm. yeah. so um but going back to the child so if you're like look i care about you and and you know how do you make sense of it when do you tend to go on it how do you feel about yourself during it after it i mean if they're willing to talk about it and just starting to name it and to say you know if, if you think this is true do, do you think that you're using it as a way to kind of feel good because you're not feeling very good in your life mm -hmm. and maybe maybe we need to help you figure out what's going on that you're feeling so bad mm -hmm. yeah no, teenagers um, are not about oh yes mom you're brilliant I mean they, they will like they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like people pay to talk to me. Okay. Like I've done it, <laughs> but yeah. anyway, but they, they're often in this, no, you're raw. I mean, they're doing that and they're doing it because they should do it. So mm -hmm. don't take it too personally if you can, and just let them push against you. That's actually helpful for them. But mm -hmm. if you really know they need something, or you really know they need help to stand up for it and say, look, I love you. And I, and you don't need to struggle with this alone. And we can find somebody that can help you think through this and and get a hold of this for yourself, mm -hmm. right? Not so that you're an acceptable person, not that idea. Mm -hmm. So that you don't feel so 
overwhelmed in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jennifer, I just, I, I appreciate the way that you, you normalize, you normalize the, the beauty of it, the struggle of it. And I think, you know, so many parents today, they grow up knowing that the way that they learned about sex was an ideal, but they don't know what is ideal. And I just yeah. really appreciate the way you've given like real language to things today. Um, I think it's super helpful for those listening and um, and just, you know, you're, you're doing it like with the struggle with the, the, you know, the full yeah. range of what it is. So yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, sure. yeah, we're about at time, but I just wonder, I mean, you've given such good, real, um, practical tips. And I, I wonder if you could, if there was one tip that you would give just as we end today, like what's a real practical takeaway for parents mm. today? Well, can I say two things? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, good. please. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first idea, because we kind of already talked about that, that the more that you have reconciled this in yourself, the more you're going to help your child. Mm. Even if you don't think you're good at communicating it, even if you're like, feel like you didn't have enough conversations, if you really do see sexuality as a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. if you really do feel at peace in your beautiful body, uh, that's giving them a huge leg up, even if, even if you've had far fewer conversations than you think might be ideal. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is, you know, one of the, the kind of the foundation of the course I teach is help facilitating your children's sexual integrity. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is being able to integrate their sexuality, mm -hmm. both with their sense of self and with their morality, with their values. Mm. So you, you want to think about what's going to facilitate them being able to have sexuality be a good part of their lives. Mm. And is how am I, I'm reacting right now or what I'm saying something that will help them to do that? Or will it work against that? Right. Mm. If it gets too authoritarian and, and mean, or just not addressing, that's not going to help them integrate this for themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just like you were saying in the beginning, Michelle, we want to facilitate our children's academic development and their interpersonal development and so on. But that sexual development is for them to sort out their relationship to their desires, to their body, to their sexuality, mm -hmm. and to do it in a way that blesses their life, mm -hmm. that makes their life and their relationships richer. So you want to think about is what I'm saying facilitating that is what they're choosing facilitating that. And, um, that's the overarching goal and the rest is the details. I mean, I know people are like, yeah, but I need those details, <laughs> but, but, you know, in the course I teach, I give people a lot more of the details of how to do it, but that is our overarching goal in my opinion. Yeah. Wonderful. Great. We have, we have a question that came in early on, um, but I'd like to, to name it here at the end, this person, I, I love this question. They ask, um, do you have books that you'd recommend for very young couples getting married, like 19. And I love this question. Cause I, you know, I kind of think like, oh, we actually, as parents are supporting them even into, yeah. you know, their own, their own next stage. And, um, and I I'll just, um, if we can move into other resources that you have, I will plug, I mean, I'd love for you to name books, but I know people that have given your relationship course to people as a wedding gift, which yeah. I would highly recommend. I've heard it got, it went really well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, books that you might recommend. And also if you want to just go into other resources that you provide. 
Yeah, that's just, I'm really sitting here thinking about the book thing. I've thought about writing one actually for exactly that population. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you know, especially for those who haven't had a sexual relationship or entering into a sexual relationship, how do they really relate to this collaboratively? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times what happens in the faith tradition I came out of is that I'm in is that, um, that the woman sees her sexuality as existing for the sake of the man and his needs. Mm-hmm. And that's just a setup for low, high desire dynamics and frustration for the duration of the marriage. So mm-hmm. it's like wanting to course correct right away and help people gravitate to a new paradigm. You know, of course, all my courses are about trying to do that, but I'm trying to think of a book that I think, I don't know, maybe others in the group know of something that's, I know some that are quite religious and that they were helpful for people because they were more affirming. I think I'm trying to remember what one of them was called, but the act of marriage, I think is what some people oh, talked yeah. about is helpful. Right. But yeah. I have never read it. I don't know how much it's teaching collaboration. I think yeah. it is teaching the basics of marital intimacy. I don't know if it's countering some of the messaging that mm-hmm. makes it more of a servicing model and is more about an intimacy model. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in couples thinking about marriage, not from a role-based frame, mm-hmm. not from a utility frame of you do this and I do this and I serve you this way. You provide economically and I provide sexuality and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to encourage people to start thinking more in terms of intimacy and friendship and sexual friendship, mm-hmm. but I'm sorry, I don't have a great answer. I, that book needs to exist and it may already exist. And if it doesn't, maybe that will be my next one. (laughs) I love it. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. And other resources, you've mentioned a few courses that you have. Yeah. So first it's just this summer, I do have a, how to talk to your kids about sex course. Mm -hmm. I do it with an LDS audience in mind anywhere on the LDS spectrum, but Mm -hmm. I think those, the principles, much like I spoke about today are really the, the structure of the course of how do you impart your values and how do you help your kids develop sexual integrity? So I have that as an online course, but I'm also doing a live version of that course, a webinar version this summer. And I think it starts the beginning of June, I believe, and it goes into July. I think it's seven Mm. weeks long or something like that. So if you pop onto my website, you can find it there under the courses link, um, which is just finlaysonfife.com. And then I have a lot of courses to help couples. Again, it's that LDS context, but lots of non-LDS people take the courses and find them beneficial, which is to help you to create a more intimate marriage. This is really growing out of the validation framing that keeps Mm. us often stuck into intimacy framing Mm. um, in both our emotional relationship and sexual relationship. And then I have a men's course and a women's course Mm. that is... um, about the same issue of self-development and sexual development and how important they are within us individually to be capable of creating an intimate marriage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. I would highly recommend them. I've, I've um, been to a retreat and just really value your work. So yeah. thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your time and just your way that you really, you give a framework and it values to really approach it, but also really practical tips. So super, yeah. super helpful for everyone listening and just really, really glad to be here with you today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. My pleasure. All right.
Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.